You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you know what an influencer is? You know, with the rise and the growth of the Internet, there's a new role called the influencer. Now, an influencer is a blogger or a podcaster or a user of of some of the social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or TikTok. And these people create a following. They have a large number of people who read or who listen to or who just consume their social media content. And what happens is these people have come to be called influencers because corporations have discovered that these people can have a huge influence on the purchasing decisions of those who follow them. So often an influencer will now be paid by a company to use or to wear or to review or otherwise promote the company's product or service. And the followers of this influencer will see and hear the personality as they're using it or reviewing it or talking about it, and they will be influenced directly or indirectly to do the same thing that they are doing. Now, really, this idea of influencer is just the commercialization of the influence that every one of us has. Friends, we all have influence on other people. In the case of social media, we have influence. But friends, we have influence in all of our relationships. We have influence on the opinions of those who trust us. We have influence on other people with our words and our actions. You know, this last week I read an article, and it was talking about emotional contagion. It's not a virus. Emotional contagion. It's the idea that we influence and are influenced by the emotions and expressions of other people around us. Now, I mean, none of us, none of us would ever say, oh, I acted this way because I was influenced by everybody around me. I mean, we all want to think that every single one of our decisions just rises independently from us and our own decisions. However, Yale economist Robert Schiller found you have to realize your thoughts are not really your own. They percolate in from other places and from other people. Friends, we're all influenced, but in the same way, we're all influencers. And church, what Jeannie just read for us today is that Christ has called us to be kingdom influencers. We are called to be kingdom influencers. Today, after a short break for Easter, we're returning to our study of the Sermon on the Mount as we work our way through Matthew's Gospel. So we're in Matthew chapter 5. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. And as we noted, this is a sermon that Jesus primarily delivered to His disciples, to His followers. People like you 
and like me. People who sit at His feet and say, Master, teach me. Teach me to be like You. What does it look like to follow You? What does it look like to live life as a citizen of Your kingdom? And that's what this sermon is. It's an answer to that question. Before Easter, we began our study and we considered the Beatitudes, which are the eight famous statements that Jesus makes at the very beginning of this sermon. Blessed are. Eight blessed are. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So on and so forth. And when we looked at the Beatitudes, we noticed that the Beatitudes are not demands. They're descriptions. The Beatitudes aren't actually statements of doing. They're statements of being. Blessed are. Blessed are. These aren't biddings. These are blessings. They are a description of the good, the blessed life. And the eight statements are the lenses through which we, as followers of Jesus Christ, are supposed to look at and evaluate this world, evaluate ourselves, and evaluate all things. And we immediately notice when we look at Jesus' eight statements, these eight Beatitudes, they sound nothing like the Beatitudes of this world. This world declares, blessed are the powerful, blessed are the rich, blessed are the good-looking. But Jesus' Beatitudes sound nothing like that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the mourning, the meek, the peacemakers. The very ones that Jesus calls blessed, the very ones that Jesus says are living the good life, the blessed life, they're the losers in the eyes of the world and its Beatitudes. And so we find that those who live according to a kingdom worldview, those who, who live according to the way that Jesus teaches us to live and view the world, are going to be out of step with the way the world is living. And the problem with being out of step with the way that the world is living is that inevitably you stand out. And when you stand out from the way that everyone else is living, they notice you and it can draw unwanted and undesired attention. And so it is that the eighth and final beatitude is the only one that comes with fine print. The eighth and final beatitude found in Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, Jesus is our righteousness. And, verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile, persecute you, and utter evil against you. Why? Because of your association with me. Because you are walking out of step with the world around you. And people notice. And it's going to draw undue and unwanted attention. And more than that, persecution. Friends, if you associate with your, yourself with Jesus, if you are united with Him by faith, if you are following Him as His disciple, if you are looking at the world the way He looks at this world, if you're becoming like Him, Jesus says you're going to be persecuted because of it. Because, friends, this world will never love the true Jesus. This world will never love the true Jesus because Jesus did not come to affirm this world. Jesus came to expose this world. 
Jesus is the light of the world, and He reveals the truth about God. But more than that, He reveals the truth about us, the truth that we would rather not see or hear or know. We can't handle the truth. Jesus taught in John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, this is the judgment. Lights come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. Jesus says, I'm the light and the world hates me and they hate because they hate the light because they can't handle the truth that the light exposes. So disciples, you who've chosen to associate yourselves with me, you too should expect persecution. John chapter 15, verse 20, he taught, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. So disciples expect persecution. And Jesus says, however, blessed. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Blessed are you when people revile you, when they persecute you, when they utter all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. But let's all be honest. Despite the promise of blessing here for persecution, these dire warnings might tempt us to just want to blend in. Dire warnings like this might make us maybe want to blunt the sharp edge of truth a little bit. Maybe dim the bright light of revelation. Maybe compromise in the name of relevance. And understanding our temptation Jesus reminds his followers in the passage that Jeannie just read for us who we are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Church, there are three important things about ourselves that I want you to note in this teaching. Three important things, and they all start with the letter I. So if you're taking notes, you can write down three I. We learn about our identity, our idiosyncrasy, and our influence. Our identity. Friends, notice what Jesus says about us. You are. You are. Friends, not you have. Not you possess. Not you do. You are. These aren't statements of activity. This is a statement of your identity in Christ. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And friends, why is this important? Because as his follower, you need to know who you are. And knowing who you are means you have no excuse. You and I are not free to say, I can't do this. We're not free to say, I don't have this. We're not even free to say, I don't want this, because Jesus says, church, you are this. This is actually who you are. By faith, if you are united with Jesus Christ as his followers, you've been given a new identity in him. You are salt and light. There's no opt-out button. This is who you are in Christ. You are salt and light. You know, just this week, I had lunch with a friend who attends another church, And early on in the lunch, he was telling me about this new, great position that he got at work. 
And I'm like, great, how's it going? He goes, it's going well, but I expect I'm going to be fired soon. I said, well, if it's going well, why are you going to be fired soon? And he said, because I keep, keep preaching the gospel to people, and that's getting me in trouble. And he said, but it's okay, because if I get fired from this, God will provide another job. You are salt. You are light. He said, this is who I am. Of course the gospel's coming out of me. This is who I am. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. Friends, there's no such thing as a follower of Jesus Christ who is not salt and light. In fact, if you're not salt and light, you are not a follower of Jesus, according to him. So church, don't hide it. Don't minimize it. Don't avoid it. Don't deny it. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is who you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And friends, your identity is going to make you idiosyncratic. Yes, I know. I have to stretch for another eye. Okay? All right. But it fits. It fits. And I know it's hard to spell, but you're going to see it on the screen in a second. The dictionary defines idiosyncrasy as a characteristic habit, mannerism, or the like that is peculiar to an individual, or I might add, not just an individual, but a group of people. A group of people could be idiosyncratic. And friends, an idiosyncrasy is something that makes you different. It makes you peculiar. It makes you stick out and stand out from those around you. And Jesus says, my followers, they are an idiosyncratic bunch. Because salt has a different taste than that which is around it. We are salty. And light makes us peculiar because we give light to all, he says. We shine. Friends, we are different and distinct from those around us. We're salty and shiny. In fact, Jesus says, matter-of-factly, he says, a lamp that's put underneath a basket? Well, that's no different from the darkness around it, so it's useless. Salt that is no different from that which is around it is useless because salt is meant to influence that which is around it. So Jesus warns about losing our idiosyncrasies, church. You heard verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Useless, thrown out, trampled. Church, if we lose our distinctiveness, we die. When the church loses its distinctiveness from the world, it dies. Church, if we lose that which makes us idiosyncratic and distinct, if we come to look and to sound and to taste just like the world out there, we are useless. We've lost our identity. You know, a hundred years ago, when the newspaper suggested that the church should get with the times, theologian G.K. Chesterton famously wrote, we do not want a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. Friends, we don't want a church that is influenced moving with the world. We want a church that influences, that moves the world. Friends, What this world needs is not a church that's relevant. It needs a church that's revolutionary. To become relevant, 
Friends, to become relevant ultimately means that you are like everything around you. To become relevant means that you seamlessly fade into and blend comfortably with the background. Church, if we choose relevance, if we choose relevance over our saltiness, if we cover our light with a basket, then we can no longer be revolutionary because we've lost all influence. We've become worthless just like everything else. If we lose our distinctiveness, our contrast from the world, if the light doesn't shine, the light contrasting with the darkness, if the salt doesn't contrast with everything around it, distinct and different, then friends, what good is it? How can our message get out? In fact, Samuel's going to put a message up here on the screen, which side is going to show up. Good. Could somebody read this message for me? There, there are words on the screen right now in front of your eyes. Every one of you, there are words. Why aren't you reading them to me? There are words there, I promise you. You know the problem? Those words have become relevant. They became just like the background. The words have compromised. They became like the background. There's no distinctiveness. There's no contrast. The message is invisible, and that means the message can have no influence. However, if we crank up the contrast between the background and the words, the message now can be heard. Friends, if we want this world to know that Jesus is Lord, then we have to be salt and light. If we compromise and become just like the background around us, if we're no longer distinct, the message becomes invisible. We are an idiosyncratic people. We are distinct. We are different. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Salt that is not salty and light that is so dim nobody can see by it is useless and should be thrown out. And sadly, there are many churches today that still wear the label of church, but no longer the influence of church. There are many churches today that have moved with the world, and because of that, they will never again move the world. They have lost their influence. There are so many tasteless, lightless, Christless churches today in the world, and Christ weeps. And this world suffers because of it. Church, understand, this world will suffer if the church loses its influence. Our identity is to be idiosyncratic so that we might be an influence, the third eye, an influence for the sake of the world. Friends, consider the mind-blowing statement that Jesus makes here. He says, you are the salt, what? Of the earth. You are the light, what? Of the world. Of clearly doesn't mean from or of the same type. It doesn't mean from or of the same type. Jesus made this point in John 15, verse 9. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Friends, the word of here does not mean from or of the same type. When Jesus says, you are the light of, he's using it in the idea of for the sake of. Church, for the sake of. You are the salt for the sake of this earth. You are the light for the sake of, for the service of, for the good of this world. Church, if we lose our influence, if we no longer are salty and shining, 
then we no longer influence and this world suffers. We are the salt that influences. We are the light that illuminates. We exist for the sake of this world. To be distinct, to be idiosyncratic, that we might be an influence on this world for the kingdom of God, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, salt and light are agents of influence. They're agents of influence. In the ancient world, before refrigeration, salt was used as a preservative. And some properly salted meats could be kept almost indefinitely. Great theologian John Stott famously observed that if meat goes bad, there's no sense in blaming the meat. That's what happens when the bacteria are allowed to breed unchecked. The question to ask is, where's the salt? And church, if the earth is in moral decay, if the world is stumbling out there in the darkness of lies and deceit, why are we blaming the world? Where's the light? Where's the salt? Where's the church? Remove the positive influence of salt and light, and of course the earth corrupts. Of course the world stumbles in darkness. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. If the salt loses its saltiness, if the light fails to shine, no wonder the world suffers for it. Interestingly, the phrase translated in verse 13 as, if the salt has lost its taste, it literally says, if the salt has become foolish. That's what it literally says. If the salt has become foolish, it's the Greek word moros, where we get our word moron. And when it talks about that, it's not talking about foolishness like a jester. Biblically, foolishness is a moral foolishness. It's abandoning the truth of God's word and becoming morally foolish. So if the salt becomes foolish, if it abandons the truth of God's word, if it becomes just like everything else, if it's lost its taste, it's useless. You know, the same word for foolishness is used in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, it says, Although they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Friends, hearts darkened, foolish, corrupted thinking. Where's the influence of the salt? Where's the light? Paul goes on in Romans chapter 1 to write that absent of the influence of salt and light, the result is corruption. Romans 1.24, God gave people up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Romans 1.26 gave them up to dishonorable passions. Romans 1.28, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Romans chapter 1 says that darkened hearts and foolish thinking caused the world to become corrupted sexually, corrupted relationally, corrupted morally, corrupted in their understanding of reality itself. Does any of this sound familiar? Where's the salt? Where's the light? Where's the church? Church, without the influence of salt and light, the world corrupts into the chaos of sin. The world stumbles about in the darkness of lies. You are the salt of the earth. You 
are the light of the world. Church, you are called to influence. Our identity is to be idiosyncratic, a distinct people who have the influence of salt and light in the world. And I know talking about all this makes some of you nervous. It should. It makes you nervous, not just because of persecution that inevitably comes from the world when you identify yourselves as Christ, but nervous because you might be sitting there thinking, oh no, Adam, are you about to get political? Is this moving towards some kind of advocation for some kind of moral majority or something? Friends, first and foremost, you might have noted that actually everything today has become political. Everything's become political. So if we must, for some reason, be silent on politics, then we can never actually speak about anything anymore. Church salt can't remain in the salt shaker or light under the basket if they're going to have influence. So I reject the idea that we can't speak about political issues for two reasons. First, because Jesus rejects the idea when he calls us salt and light. But secondly, we have freedom of religion. We have freedom to practice our religion Not just freedom of worship in our congregations, but freedom of religion. To live your religious convictions in this world. Church, freedom of worship, freedom to worship under the basket or in the salt shaker, is not what the Constitution offers us. It offers us freedom of religion. To be salt and light, not just in our private lives, but to be salt and light in the world. Because freedom of worship says Jesus can be Lord inside your salt shaker or underneath your basket. But once you come out into the world, then you have to say Caesar is Lord. You need to bow yourself and celebrate the parade of the emperor's new clothes and his new sexuality, his new gender, his new morals, his new religion. You have to bow your knee to that God. So in your salt shaker, in your bowl, go ahead, shine all you want. But once you're out here, you you better be quiet and start marching in lockstep with what everybody else is doing. Church, we reject this idea because Jesus isn't just Lord of the salt shaker. He isn't just Lord of the basket. He's Lord of the world. And we are the salt, not just of the salt shaker. We are not just the light in the basket. We are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Now, saying this, I'm not stumping for any moral majority. Friends, politics is corrupt. Both political parties here in America are corrupt, and they are compromised. Now, that's not to say political parties could do no good, depending on a particular issue. One party might be closer to the truth of the Bible than another. But what I'm saying, friends, is there's not a political kingdom on earth that perfectly aligns itself with the kingdom of God. There's not a political kingdom on earth that perfectly aligns itself with the kingdom of God. So if we're going to be salt and light, our primary allegiance is not to any political kingdom, but to the kingdom of God. And where our earthly political kingdom might align itself with Christ's kingdom, we can stand in agreement. And where an earthly political kingdom aligns itself against Christ's kingdom, we stand in opposition. Church, but we must speak and act and vote to influence politically for the kingdom of God. It's our right as American citizens and our responsibility as salt and light. Now, saying all this, again, you're probably still a little nervous. I'm not advocating for a Christian nation. Friends, hear me clearly. America never has been and never will be a Christian nation. God has only ever had one nation, and it was the theocratic, God-ruled nation of Israel, which is recorded in the Old Testament. 
America will never be a Christian nation. But church, we are called to influence. We are called to influence. Salt and light are agents of influence. Salt can flow, but it ultimately doesn't control or reverse corruption. Light does not control behavior, but it exposes the truth. Salt and light are agents of influence. We're not going to build a Christian nation, but we are called to be agents of influence in all things, including politics, including this world, not just in the salt shaker, not just under the bowl. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And in response to a statement like this, some people might say, well, if we're not trying to control or or build a Christian nation, then why are some Christians trying to legislate their morality? Have you ever heard that one? Why are Christians trying to legislate their morality? And friends, to be frank, that's an ignorant statement. Legislation is inescapably moral. The real question is not whether we should legislate morality. The question is whose morality should we legislate. Every single law reflects a moral standard. And if we're salt and light, we're called to influence what morality is legislated. For example, in Nazi Germany... Genocide was not only permissible, it was patriotic. Or we remember in colonial America, slavery was once the law. In both cases, a particular morality was being legislated because every law reflects a moral standard. And we believe that some moral standards are superior to other moral standards. We don't want to live in Nazi Germany. So again, the real question is not whether we should legislate morality, but what morality should we legislate? So church, in a participatory democracy like we have here in America, we are called to be salt and light to influence what morality is legislated, not to create some mythical Christian nation, but we are called to influence others towards truth, goodness, and flourishing. Okay, all that political stuff said, now aside. Church... We will exert our influence, but we're going to remember our greatest hope is not here in the politics. We're called to influence. You're called to be salt and light. But that's not where our hope is. Church, that's not where our hope is. Our hope is not political. Our hope is spiritual. Church, the greatest hope of this world is not political. It's spiritual. Church, the greatest influence that we can have is ultimately not political. We should have an influence, but that's not where our greatest influence will be. Our greatest influence is spiritual. Our greatest power is not in changed laws, but in changed lives. Our greatest hope is not in changing the legislative house, but in changing the human heart. We believe that as lives and hearts are changed, the laws of this land will also change. So church, don't neglect your influence as salt and light, as citizens of this country. However, don't forget that more important, most important, is our influence as citizens of a heavenly country. Your greatest influence as salt and light is as citizens of a heavenly country. Ultimately, we seek to influence people not to put their hope in any kingdom of this world. We desire that people put their hope in the kingdom of heaven. That's where our greatest influence and our greatest hope lies. So church, remember your identity. Do not compromise your idiosyncrasies. Live your influence, for you are the salt of the earth. 
You are the light of the world. And my friends, no matter how small you think your influence might be, whether it's a pinch of salt or just a little bit of light, remember who you are. And go forth and let your little light shine. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to be who we are. Help us to go forth and make our little light shine. Shine through us. Shine in us. That the whole world might see that we're singing for the glory of the risen King. Father, make us influences. Yes, we're citizens of this land, and so we speak out on issues and even participate in politics. But our greatest call and our greatest hope is that others might be influenced, not by a kingdom of man, but by the kingdom of heaven, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Father, may we shine.